This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Our university system in the United States of America should be investigated by the United States Department of Justice for racketeering. And I'm going to make that case later in the program. Welcome to the program. Uh, Let's start with some quick hits. First of all, the Pope's visit. Uh, Pope Francis was here in the United States for three days, visiting Washington, D.C., Philadelphia, and New York City. Much is being made about his visit. And I'm Catholic. I love the Pope. I understand what he symbolizes. Uh, But he is just a, a man, a human being. I'd be more impressed if Pope Francis visited South Central L.A. and Skid Row, East St. Louis, maybe even the south side of Chicago where poverty is entrenched, where people are hurting and suffering. And, you know, the fact that he comes to the United States and spends all his time in D.C. and visiting the White House, and I understand the ceremonial nature of that. I understand the protocol. It's what you do. But like I said, I would have been more impressed if he would have ventured out in some poor areas. You know, and he did the the obligatory kissing babies and so on and so forth. I'm not here to criticize him. But I am here to kind of like, you know, let's temper this a little bit. Okay, it's easy to kiss a baby's head. I would like to have seen him go to Skid Row in L.A. and kiss the head of some heroin addict laying in the curb and offer a prayer for him. That would have been more powerful to me anyway. And I'm just giving you my view. It's just one view. If you'd have gone to East St. Louis or Chicago where the violence is gripping that city, another violent uh, weekend in Chicago, Last weekend, eight dead, 47 shot by gunfire in Chicago in 2015. You heard me talk about those kind of statistics, casualty reports. And I believe that if a tornado would have swept through Chicago last weekend and killed eight people and injured 47 a state of emergency would have been declared. The National Guard would have been called up. The Red Cross would have been sent in. All kind of relief efforts, federal, state, and local. And it brings to mind for me this issue of Black Lives Matter. I call it Black Lives Matter. Where were the protests? Where was the outrage? Rahm Emanuel, the mayor of Chicago, protege of Barack Obama, Chicago, Illinois, Barack Obama's adopted hometown, and nothing from them. The superintendent of the Chicago Police Department, Gary McCarthy, who's been nothing more than a mouthpiece for Michael Bloomberg's assault on the Second Amendment. He's one of those blame-the-gun guys, even though the city of Chicago has some of the strictest gun laws in America. 
You know how difficult it is to get a concealed carry license license in the city of Chicago? It's almost impossible, the hurdles they've put in place ever since the uh, McDonald case, the Supreme Court case that overturned Chicago's onerous gun control violation of the Second Amendment laws. Otis McDonald. Poor black man living on the south side of Chicago most of his life. Became the victim of a crime. He got tired of it. Got tired of having his home burglarized. And he wanted a weapon to protect himself. But the city of Chicago wouldn't let him. So he took that case all the way up to the United States Supreme Court and he he finally won. Where was Black Lives Matter last weekend? We heard nothing from them. We heard nothing from Barack Obama, who never misses an opportunity to exploit tragedy. He wanted to overturn an entire profession, transform the entire profession of policing over Mike Brown, who was engaged in felonious conduct. Black Lives Matter? Black lives don't matter to Rahm Emanuel, to Chicago PD Superintendent Gary McCarthy, and to Barack Obama. There's Exhibit A. Next, uh, Scott Walker out of the presidential race. Many of you may know. I'm not going to assume that. Scott and I are friends. Uh, We work together in county government in Milwaukee. I'm still the sheriff of Milwaukee County. I came in the same year that Scott Walker was elected county executive. We became friends. We became allies. Got to know his family, watched his sons grow up, attended many events with him. Wonderful family, wonderful wife. And he had this meteoric rise after he became county executive. Jeez, uh, four and a half years later, he was the governor of the state of Wisconsin. And then a uh, quick four or five years after that, he was he entered the presidential race for the Republican nomination anyway for 2016 as the front runner. And 70 days after he announced his candidacy for President of the United States, he suspended his campaign. I think it was the right decision. I think it was a courageous decision, and here's why. And 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 I'm not going. I don't. I don't say these things because he's a friend. First of all, it had to be the hardest decision in his life to suspend his campaign. All right, you you do these things. You enter into these things in politics, elected office. You put your yourself out on front street. And your family out on Front Street, subject yourself to ridicule, especially the way the left engages in politics. Something that he had his heart set on doing. His heart is in the right place. And the money dried up, okay? He, his campaign never caught fire. I said that in an interview with the local... Milwaukee Paper Journal Sentinel, I said, his campaign seems to be stuck in neutral and he needs a spark. 
And I said it he at the time, and this was about a month ago, month before he got out. I said he needs a shakeup. He needs to shake up his campaign staff and and uh, make some changes and maybe reboot. And that was just my suggestion. I didn't run his campaign. I don't never run a presidential campaign, but I've run my own campaigns. I've been involved in campaigns. I know what's involved, and sometimes campaigns need a spark. So he's out. So the field thins. There's some other people who just as soon should be out. Okay, people like Lindsey Graham, people like Pataki, people like Rand Paul sitting around 1%. I mean, the only reason they're staying in at this point, because Scott Walker's campaign was hemorrhaging money. He was running out of cash. He had a lot of money poured into Iowa, New Hampshire, and South Carolina, and some of these other people don't. So they're not hemorrhaging money. They can just hang around, and that's what they're doing. So he's out, and now it's said that Marco Rubio could benefit from that. I think if you have to benefit because somebody drops out, doesn't say a whole lot for your campaign. The Blaze Radio Network, on demand. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. Find more on demand at theblaze.com slash radio. Don't miss the morning blaze with Doc and Skip. Police in San Diego are investigating a mysterious man found near a baseball diamond with a single hit to the chest. The unidentified man was discovered just after 7 a.m., and now investigators say they have to step up to the plate and find out who did this. The man was found with a single bullet to the torso and had been dead long enough for authorities to be certain there was no way he would pop up alive. The Morning Blaze with Doc and Skip. Weekday morning, 6 to 9 Eastern, on the Blaze Radio Network. Sheriff. Some final comments on the presidential race. Donald Trump continues to lead the pack. He's frustrating the RNC. He's frustrating uh, establishment Republicans. He's frustrating the media, media elites. You've heard me talk about media elites before because Donald Trump isn't acting the way they want him to act or the way they think uh, he should act that lines up with their understanding of uh, presidential politics. And he's fighting back. And I just, I, I really get a kick out of it because the media, you know, resorts to, well, he's thin skinned. He can't take it. He's offended by, you know, tough questions. And I say, well, wait a minute. Why shouldn't he fight back? I think it's the media that's thin skinned. The media, their elitist, arrogant attitude that nobody dares stand up to them. Trump has just basically thumbed his nose at them. And they don't like that. So as I said, you know, it's still early. And uh, if you have your candidate, fine. My advice is to let the process vet all these individuals. Some things are starting to surface about Carly Fiorina that I'm finding disturbing. Many of you know I, I, I like Carly Fiorina. I think Carly Fiorina could handle the office of President of the United States. But, you know, as people rise in the polls, we get to know a little bit more, people start to dig a little bit more, and there are some things that I think she's going to have to answer. Uh, 
on, and I think it's going to be shortly because of her rise in the polls. And that's what happens. Ben Carson right now is facing uh, a lot of scrutiny, especially after his comment about uh, Muslims in the presidency. I heard his comment. That thing was contorted by the media into something that he didn't say. And I was a little disappointed that uh, more people didn't come to his defense, circle the wagons around him. They do that to us every time. When I say us, I'm talking about on the right. Did it to Herman Cain uh, back four years ago, and I see some parallels there. Uh, Herman, uh, Herman Cain rose to the top of the poles, and he was cruising. And he was brought down by some insinuations of... Uh, womanizing, so on and so forth. And Ben Carson is going to face the same kind of scrutiny. I think he can handle it. I really do. But he's going to need support. And just because you circle the wagons around him doesn't mean you have to support him for president. But he's still one of our guys. And we shouldn't let the left, it's the left that's attacking him, by the way. We shouldn't let the left try to take out one of our guys, unless one of our guys deserves to be taken out. And what he said on Sharia law versus the Constitution, he was correct. And I know some of you did, you know, through social media, tweets and Facebook, came to his defense, but that's not enough. I'll give you an example of what I'm talking about. Do you remember when Planned Genocide Federation or Planned Parenthood was under siege over the videos? harvesting baby parts and selling them for profit. Take a look at how they countered. They were getting hammered. They were on the mat, folks. The referee was counting them out. The count was up to about seven. And then came their surge. People in Congress started commenting on the floor, the usual attacks, war on women, you're hurting uh, reproductive health care for women, which we all know none of that is. But you know what? They fought back. They circled the wagons, including the mainstream media. Even with all that gore in that story, they circled the wagons. Everybody did. Planned genocide went out and hired some top Fifth Avenue PR firm and spent millions of dollars to help them mount a counter-campaign. That's what I'm talking about. You didn't see people just go to Twitter and Facebook. and, and No. They're very organized. They know how to fight. They know how to counter. We don't have that on our side. When have we ever done it? Tweet me and tell me. When have we ever mounted a, a successful counter-campaign to some attack that we were under? Speaking of planned genocide or planned parenthood, I said after these story, uh, stories broke, these, these videos broke, and the chance started to be made that planned parenthood Planned genocide should be defunded. And I said, go back and look. I said, this time next year, I said that about two, three months ago, this time next year, 
Planned Parenthood will not be defunded and will still be arguing about it. And I stand by that. As a matter of fact, it's looking more like that now. And if you really think that Planned Parenthood is going to be defunded, in this cycle anyway, folks, you're, you're, you're kidding yourself. You're pretty naive. All right, the Democrats aren't going to make it happen, and they have the leverage to block it because of our ineffective Senate. But here's, some, here's another reason. First of all, there have been several suggestions as to how to do this. One suggestion was that it should be done under reconciliation. It was a reconciliation uh, procedure, and um, but it can't be done that way. And it can't be done because the rules prohibit it. And I'm reading here from the Daily Signal. In part, it says, however, there are significant procedural barriers that would likely prevent any attempt to accomplish this under uh, the reconciliation process. First of all, provisions of reconciliation bills do not change federal outlays or revenues, are not permitted pursuant uh, to Section 313 of the Congressional Budget Act, known as the Byrd Rule. You see how complicated this gets in Washington, D.C.? The article goes on to say, um, this also prevents reconciliation bills from making changes to discretionary spending programs. And it says this is a problem for those who want to use the reconciliation bill to fully defund Planned Parenthood as the organizations and its affiliates receive discretionary funds through the Title uh, 10 program and a number of other sources. To remain consistent with the Bird Rule, this provision must be budgetary and any budgetary changes associated with the provision must not be merely incidental to the non-budgetary components. What does that mean? Here's what it means in plain language. If it's already in the budget, which it is, you cannot defund things that are already budgeted. It's basically what it says. All right. In other words, provisions and reconciliation bills cannot be included if the primary purpose is to advance a certain policy. Rather, reconciliation is reserved for provisions included within the purpose of reducing the deficit in a way that reflects assumptions made by the budget resolution. So in essence, it can't be done that way. It can't be done procedurally through a resolution. But there's another reason why this won't happen, and this one here is more striking, I believe. And this is an article from Conservative Review by uh, Conservative Review staff. Yesterday, the Senate Conservative uh, Fund is out with a brutal email that makes the case that Majority Leader Senator Mitch McConnell, Republican in Kentucky, has never cared about stopping funding for Planned Parenthood. And this story is going to go on to make four main points, and it will lay out why I said Planned Parenthood will not soon be defunded. David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Coming up today on Pat and Stu. I was thinking of you, Jeff, because I'm like, Jeffy would not be restricted with what part of the pie. No, I was just going to say, we'd be like hawking about not touching the skin. And then you'd be picking up off the ground and the grass, mm-hmm. the it's ants like a, it's like a, It's a five minute rule with pie. Five minutes? Is that what I said? Yeah, something like that. I mean, Five, ten, fifteen minutes, whatever. Whatever it takes. It's like a Homer Simpson. Ooh, floor pie. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network.
Sheriff. So we'll pick up where we left off this conservative review article. Talks about Mitch McConnell and how he does not want to defund Planned Parenthood. And all indications are, as far as I'm concerned, and again, just my opinion, that it won't be defunded anytime soon. I think the Republican Party, the RNC, uh, will use defunding Planned Parenthood as a money-raising opportunity. You'll be getting things in the mail you probably already have from the Republican Senatorial Committee and, and the RNC, uh, help defund Planned Parenthood. We need money to support Republican candidates. You know, it's it's Lucy and Charlie Brown in the football and Lucy pulling it back again. Uh, we've been hoodwinked. We've been bamboozled enough by this party. It's why there's so much anger. There's so much dissension by the grassroots, the Tea Partiers, the hardcore conservatives, the principled conservatives, because we've been led astray, and uh, we've given our money, we've given our time, we've given our votes, gave them what they asked for. They said, give us control of the Senate. We gave them control of the Senate. And nothing has changed. Anyway, getting back to this article, it says, In 1992, McConnell voted to allow taxpayer-funded research using body parts from aborted babies. This policy, which was vetoed by President George Herbert Walker Bush, but later signed into law by President Clinton, had the effect of making abortion even more profitable for Planned Parenthood. Also in 1992, McConnell voted to overturn the so-called Reagan rule that prohibited Planned Parenthood from using taxpayer dollars for pro-abortion counseling. That was roll call vote, vote number 254. McConnell's vote in this case was to override President Bush's veto, but the House sustained it. Then in 1993, President Clinton overturned the Reagan rule by executive order on the first day of his administration. In 1997, McConnell voted again against a targeted ban on federal funding for research on body parts from abortion. Roll call vote number 215. This time, McConnell was one of 14 liberal Republicans who voted to allow taxpayer-funded research on body parts from abortions. In these three examples, McConnell crossed the then-current Republican president and many of his Republican colleagues in the Senate to open the door for taxpayer funding for Planned Parenthood and for research on body parts from aborted babies. McConnell has voted for at least 15 bills that provided funding for Planned Parenthood dating back to 1998. This is important because it shows how long Senator McConnell has tolerated this funding and refused to do anything meaningful to stop it. Senator McConnell says defunding Planned Parenthood has to wait until Republicans control the White House, but at least five times of his past votes to fund it 
were when Republicans controlled the House, the Senate, and the White House. In a statement, President Ken Cuccinelli said, Senator Mitch McConnell isn't willing to fight to defund the nation's largest abortion provider, Planned Parenthood, because he actually supports funding the abortion industry. Many Americans do not know that Senator McConnell has a long list of votes in favor of taxpayer funding for research on aborted baby parts and for pro-abortion counseling at Planned Parenthood. He should apologize for these votes and refuse to pass any bill that funds this organization. This is our Senate Majority Leader, President of the Senate, Mitch McConnell, Republican of Kentucky. How did this man get into this position? Other than the obvious seniority, you know, this this, this Republican Party is so steeped in tradition. You must wait your turn. You must do your time. You must come up through the ranks. And then they grant it by seniority. And it's just, it's just astounding. We sit here, you sit here, I sit here, and we really think that this thing has a chance because these, these, these videos are damning. I mean, they are horrible. You remember Dr. Gosnell, the Philadelphia abortion doctor, and some of the things that he was doing during abortions? Snapping necks, they were coming out, the, the fetuses, the babies were coming out somewhat partially alive and, and, and just, and we were appalled at that. This is worse. This takes it, when I say worse, I should qualify that. This takes it to a new level. I mean, how barbaric does this say we are as a society? That we would fund this stuff with your money. You don't believe in abortion. Many of you don't. At least many of you who listen to this program don't. But yet you're made to fund it. You're made to fund it because the Senate Republicans now do not have the will. They don't have the will. Now, I know some individual ones do. I know that Ted Cruz, I'm just going to pick out some of the ones, uh, uh, you know, in the presidential race, and people like Senator Ron Johnson from my home state of Wisconsin wants it defunded. But now the argument is this. How do we get it done? Because if we try to do it in the continuing resolution to fund the government, then we're facing a government slowdown. It's not a... uh, The government will not be shut down. I mean, as you know, and I've talked about it here, we end up using their language. Only about 20% of the federal government would cease to operate if the um, government shuts down. And it's non-essential. Now, the problem is that the President of the United States under that shutdown gets to decide what's funded and what's not funded in that uh, time period. And you know what he did last year, right? He closed off White House tours. 
He shut down the monuments on the mall, including the Veterans Memorial or memorials. He prohibited veterans who went and served this country, many of them maimed, many of their brothers in arms killed, and now we want to prohibit them from visiting these memorials. He did this purposely. That's how evil Barack Obama is. Everything with him is political. How can I extract how can I extract damage on my political adversaries? That's what he does. That's the kind of person he is. But you know what? At some point, at some point in life, you have to say enough is enough, and this is worth fighting for. I mean, that's how we became a republic. This is David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network. Jay Severin. And the minute that hits the airwaves, will any nation withstand the nature and magnitude of criticism that will be hurled its way if it tries to enforce its borders? It will be the most important moment of question and answer in our lifetimes and our children's. And it could happen today. It could happen tonight. It could happen tomorrow morning. But it's happening. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern. On the Blaze Radio Network. David Clark, the People's Sheriff. When I opened the program, I said that the uh, university system in the United States of America should be investigated under the RICO statute, the racketeering statute uh, by the United States Department of Justice and the Attorney General. And the reason I say that, um, you look at the mounting debt, the mounting debt. Uh, by students, student loans, they come out of school, either they do have a degree, they don't have a degree, and they're faced with this insurmountable debt. Here's where it sits right now. Americans now owe nearly $1.2 trillion in student loans. This comes from the USA Today, Nicholas Rayfield. $1.2 trillion in student loans. The level of debt continues to rise even though the number of active borrowers has gone down since 2010. And even though millennials are the poster generation for student debt, they don't actually hold most of it. With kids of color now comprising majority of American public schools, K-12 education population, and an increasing share of its post-secondary students, Next America explores strategies to close persistent racial and ethnic gaps in educational attainment. One of the reasons that these kids of color... Uh, can't increase their earning potential or what we like to call human capital is because by going to college and these Mickey Mouse uh, schools that are that are offering these Mickey Mouse degrees and these soft subjects, these young people of color cannot enhance their skills and talents that more directly affect economic outcomes to enhance their earning potential. I'm reading a book right now. 
friend of mine, Thomas Sowell, you've heard me talk about him. The book is called Wealth, Poverty, and Politics. And in it, he talks a little bit about this. He says, in contemporary America, many colleges and universities have whole departments devoted to promoting a sense of racial and ethnic grievance against others. While celebrating the isolation of group identities, epitomized by ethnically separate residences on campus and sometimes even ethnically separate graduation ceremonies. You've heard me say that our colleges and universities are nothing more now than laboratories of liberal indoctrination. Back to the book. By contrast, majority groups that are lagging economically tend also to lag educationally, both qualitatively and quantitatively. As university students, they tend to specialize in easier subjects rather than in subjects like mathematics, science, or engineering. This, in turn, often leads to less promising career or to unemployment. Even aside from ethnic issues, more years of schooling cannot automatically be equated to increased human capital. Everything depends on whether more years in schools, colleges, and universities actually create economically meaningful skills or whether academic credentials create a sense of entitlement beyond what the holders of those credentials actually produce. This is not to say that economic benefits are the only benefits of education, but it is to say that expectations or claims of entitlement to higher incomes or wealth have no basis unless a specific kind of education and the specific qualitative level of that education actually create sufficient additional output to cover the additional income or wealth expected. When individuals from lagging groups, whether racial, regional, or other social groups, tend to take less challenging courses, especially when these individuals are the first generation of their respective families to reach the college or university level, such individuals are unlikely to create as valuable services as people who study uh, such obviously useful things as medicine, science, or technology. In many poor countries, especially the educated unemployed, are often numerous enough to not only to be not only a major disappointment but a social and political danger. Sometimes jobs in government bureaucracies may be created in order to absorb large numbers of young people who could otherwise be frustrated and embittered enough to be politically troublesome for government officials or even dangerous to society at large. Now I want to go back to this article I talked about several segments ago, University of North, North Carolina, Chapel Hill. For years, UNC officials have resisted the obvious indication that academics were compromised to promote sports. That resistance has finally collapsed. The latest in a series of university-sponsored investigations revealed that over 18 years, some 3,100 students took paper classes with no faculty oversight and no actual class attendance. Almost half the students enrolled in the phony, in the, in the phony courses were athletes, many of them basketball and football players, who were directed to the classes by academic counselors assigned to advise athletes, UNC said in a written statement. These counselors saw the paper classes and the artificially high grades they yielded as a key to helping some student-athletes remain eligible. In other words, to keep members of UNC's top-rated basketball team on the court. Two factors heightened the perniciousness of this deceit. The fake classes were offered by UNC black student studies department and a disproportionate number of the student athletes steered into the fake classes were black 
in the supposed interest of helping black athletes remain on campus and uh, campus, the university reputed to be one of the country's best public educational institution encouraged African-American undergraduates to cripple themselves intellectually. I'm angered by this. The left does this. Who runs the colleges and universities in the United States for the most part? I mean, overwhelmingly. The left, the academic elite, the liberals, exploiting people. Folks, if the mob did this, if the mob were running this type of racket, there would be indictments handed down. There would be grand juries convened to hold somebody accountable. So these kids go to these schools under this false pretense that they're going to get some sort of wage-earning degree, skills and talents that can be marketable. When I see some of these schools um, uh, that are, are promoted by these universities, gender studies, African-American studies, I see somebody with a degree in African-American studies, and I say, where the hell are you going to get a job with that? Where is that in demand in our economy, in our tech-based economy, as 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 uh, Thomas Sowell indicated, you know, courses in 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 uh, engineering, science, mathematics, gender studies. You have people studying things like microaggression. I mean, this is a sin. This is racketeering. These colleges and universities are picking the pockets of these these young people, unbeknownst to them. They actually think they're getting an education or some sort of degree that can be marketable. And things like gender studies, LBGT, whatever the, the alphabet soup is of the day. Where are you going to get a wage-earning job in this marketplace with a degree in Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, transgendered, whatever. It's a fraud. You heard me describe what's happening at the University of North Carolina. You have academics, you have professors, you have counselors who are steering people, advising these, these students and steering them toward these paper courses just to keep them academically eligible. These fake classes. When is Congress going to hold hearings about our university system? There's public money involved in a lot of this. This is corruption. This is crime. That's all we have time for today. Thanks for joining me. Tune in next Saturday. God bless you. You're listening to David Clark, the People's Sheriff, on the Blaze Radio Network.